calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Infected, book one of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Infected is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash infected. Chapter 31. Wash that thing right out of your hair. Perry stepped out of the shower and into the steam-filled bathroom, toweling off lightly and feeling oddly peaceful now that all his senses and his wayward memory had returned. It might well have been the longest shower of his life, and it was worth every second. His head pain had faded to a mere whisper of its former screaming strength. He was hungry. Really hungry. Cleaning up the bathroom would have to wait until he'd hit the fridge. Some Pop-Tarts would hit the spot for starters. The strange thing was how he didn't itch anymore. In fact, now that he thought about it, he hadn't itched a bit since waking up on the floor, except for a scratchy growth of bright red beard that itched plenty. Trying to keep his newly clean feet from stepping in the gunk on the floor, he moved over to the steam-covered mirror. He used his hand to clear a patch. The water-beaded reflection showed beard growth. Looked like two days' worth. Jesus, just how long had he been out? Wrapping a towel around his waist, he walked into the living room and turned on the TV. Channel 23, the preview channel, always listed the time and date in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen. It was 12.40 p.m., but it wasn't Thursday, December 13th. It was December 14th, Friday. He'd been unconscious since returning home from work on Wednesday, somewhere in the vicinity of 48 hours, almost two full days. That wasn't passing out. That was a fucking coma. Two days? He'd lain in a pool of his own vomit for two days? No wonder he was hungry. Perry grabbed a cell phone. Sixteen messages waited for him. Most of them probably from Sandy, wondering if he planned on showing up for work. Work. Counting when he'd been sent home, he'd missed two full days of work. He was probably fired by now. There would be no way he could stroll in at 1 p.m. on a Friday. What a great story that would be. Sorry, boss, but I tripped in my own bathroom, clunked my head in the toilet seat, and slipped into a coma while laying in a puddle of my own sick. Perry sat down on the couch and sorted through the messages. Sure enough, two were from Sandy, seven were from Bill, and the rest hang-ups from telemarketers. Four of the work messages were from Thursday. Bill sounded concerned. On the final message from Friday, Bill said he was coming over to see if Perry was all right. Perry erased the messages. He turned off the phone's ringer. 
The last thing he wanted to do was talk to anyone, even Bill. Perry moved to the front door. Sure enough, tacked to the outside was a note. It read, Dear Bleed Maze and Blue, Knocked, rang doorbell, urinated on your door, still no answer. Hope everything is cool. Give me a call when you get back. Sandy isn't that pissed. You don't have to call her, but she would like to know if you're okay. So would I, buddy. Saw your old beater in the parking lot, so either you're hiding out or you went somewhere with someone. Call me. Sticky fingers whitey. Two days. He'd missed two days of work. What the hell would dear old dad have said about that? Nothing good. Perry knew that for certain. He'd make it up to Sandy. If he had to work double shifts and weekends for the next three months with no overtime, he'd make it up. Concussion or no concussion, there was no excuse for missing that much work. He couldn't just call her. That would be cowardly. He'd drive in right away and take his medicine face to face. After, of course, he got his ass to the hospital. His stomach growled. He had to get some food first. In minutes, his last two eggs were frying up in a butter-coated pan. The smell drew loud grumbles from his stomach and made his mouth water. He dropped two pieces of bread into the toaster, then crammed a third piece in his mouth and chewed ravenously. Before the eggs finished cooking, he reached into the cupboard, pulled out the last of the Pop-Tarts and wolfed them down. The toast popped up as he slid the eggs onto a plate. He jammed a piece of toast into the first yolk and took a big, satisfying bite. His stomach rumbled again, happily this time, as he finished off the first egg and raised his toast to puncture the second yolk. Then he froze, half-chewed food hanging in his mouth. The round, yellow-orange oak glistened, surrounded by a bed of white. Orange. Orange that at one time had been a baby chicken, growing in a shell. Growing. 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 Grown. The toast dropped to the floor. It landed butterside down. What the hell had he been thinking? Eating a pile of eggs and worrying about work when he still had these fucking things inside him. He pulled back the towel's edge to examine his thigh, exposing the wound that had helped knock him out cold for two straight days. The shower had cleared away the dried blood, leaving fresh pink scar tissue with only a small, dark red scab pebble in the middle. The wound looked healthy. Normal. The whitish growth that had caused his itching was long gone. It was gone, but the others weren't. He sat at the kitchen table and pulled his right knee to his chest, getting a good, close look at his shin. The orange peel skin was gone. What had taken its place didn't make him feel any better. Where a circle of thick, pebbly orange skin had once been, a peculiar triangle now lay. A triangle that was under his skin. Each of the triangle's sides was about an inch long. The skin covering the strange triangle had a pale bluish tinge to it, the same color as the blue veins in the underside of one's wrist. But it wasn't really his skin. There was no break in the skin that wrapped around his leg that covered his whole body for that matter, but somehow what covered the blue triangle just didn't seem to be his. It felt tougher than his own. Near each of the triangle's three points was a quarter-inch slit pointing to the triangle's center. They reminded Perry of the slits in a homemade apple pie, If, of course, apple pie were triangular, made of human skin, and held a bluish tinge. What the fuck was it? Perry's breath came in rapid, short, shallow gasps. He had to get to a hospital. His father had gone into a hospital. His father had never come out. The doctors didn't do a fucking thing for his father. Jacob Dossie spent the last two months of his life slowly shriveling up on a hospital bed, 
good-for-nothing doctor sticking him full of needles, poking, prodding, testing. All the while, his barrel-chested 265-pound father shrunk to a six-foot-five, 150-pound living mummy, a character out of some childhood nightmare. Perry had gone into the hospital once himself, right after that Rose Bowl injury to his knee. Damn doctors were supposed to be able to fix anything. Turned out they couldn't. Months later, a second set of specialists, and there's always plenty of specialists for an all-Big Ten linebacker, thank you very much. They said the first doctors had screwed things up, that Perry might have continued his career if they'd done things right. But this wasn't a blown knee. This wasn't even cancer. Cancer was a semi-living mass of flesh. The thing he'd pulled out of his leg had been alive. It had moved on its own. And there were six more. Six that had grown unhindered for two days while he'd been unconscious. It had only taken three days for the things to go from a little rash to a squirming horror and another 48 hours to transform into these bizarre triangular growths. What the hell might they become in the next 24 hours? The next 48? Perry rushed to throw on the first clothes he could find, grabbed his keys and coat, and headed for his car. Hospital time. Definitely hospital time. Chapter 32. Calling Dr. Cheng. Calling Dr. Cheng. Margaret waited for Dr. Cheng to come to the phone. She didn't like to be made to wait, but it was hard to be upset when Agent Clarence Otto's strong hands worked her bunched-up shoulder muscles. She was still in the director's office, except now she was sitting in the big girl's chair. Murray was on his way back to Washington. Amos was taking advantage of the downtime to get some sleep in one of the hospital's empty rooms. Chang was a bit of a bigwig at CDC headquarters in Atlanta. She didn't know the man from Adam, but she had to admit it was fun to hear people at the main CDC office jump when she called. One phone call from Murray opened a lot of doors. This is Dr. Chang. Margaret shook her head slightly. She'd expected an Asian accent. This guy sounded like he was from Bakersfield. Dr. Chang, Margaret Montoya. How can I help you today, Margaret? Seems you've got something important to discuss. Important enough for the director to call me and tell me to make sure you get everything you need. He sounded annoyed, as if her call had pulled him away from something that he thought was very important. Yes, Dr. Cheng. I'm actually CDC myself. Really? I wonder why I've never heard of you. Do you work in Atlanta? Margaret grimaced at the question. No, actually, CCID in Cincinnati. Ah, Cheng said. There was a lot of contempt and derision loaded into that single syllable. Dr. Cheng, I need some information on your Margellans task force. You bothered me for that? Um, afraid so. We're working on a related disease. Must not be much of a relation, Cheng said. Because there is no disease. Just a lot of crazy people who have convinced themselves they have bugs crawling under their skin. He sounded about as compassionate as a guy opening up the gas valve at a Nazi death camp. I'm more interested in the fibers. Yes, well, there's something strange there, but it hardly merits all the attention. I'll tell you, I wasn't thrilled to be put in charge of this mass delusion. Fibers in your skin don't make you crazy. Although I will say that the pain suffered by some of the victims seems very real. A few have genuine fibers that seem to be created by their own bodies, but for most of them, these fibers turn out to be carpet fibers, clothing fibers, things like that. They convince themselves they have this infestation, they scratch themselves bloody, and these tiny fibers get stuck in the wounds. Hardly an epidemic. 
But you have seen some of these genuine cellulose fibers growing out of the skin, yes? We have found a few, yes. I'm hoping you have a database on those claiming to be infected, particularly those who actually show the fibers. The question seemed to anger Chen. Of course we have a database, Dr. Montoya. We've sent out bulletins to all medical professionals, asking them to report anything that fits into the myriad symptoms of these Morgellons victims. Tell me what you're working on. If it's a Morgellons case, it falls under the purview of this task force. You should be reporting to me. Margaret slunk into her chair and rubbed her eyes. This wasn't going the way she'd thought it would. Margaret, Otto whispered. She opened her eyes. Now he was on the other side of the desk. He pointed to her, then held his left palm down at waist level. His right hand whipped back and forth in front of his groin, like he was spanking an imaginary person bent over in front of him. Then he pointed at the phone. Go on, girl. Whip that ass. Margaret nodded. That's right. I'm in charge now, she thought. I'm not this guy's bitch. If anything, he's mine. I haven't got all day, Montoya, Cheng said. What are you working on? Afraid I can't tell you that, Cheng. You're not cleared to have that information. And in this instance, you're reporting to me. You did hear about the executive order, didn't you? A pause. Didn't you? Of course I did. Good. I don't have time for this. Either stop being an insufferable prick, or I'll just call the CDC director and let him know I can't get you to cooperate. A longer pause. Otto had moved on from slapping the imaginary booty, and was now doing the dance move known as riding the pony. He looked ridiculous. A big grown man. A CIA agent in the black suit and the red tie, twirling in a circle with an expression of affected ecstasy on his face. Margaret couldn't help but smile. Fine. What do you need? What I need you to do right now is call up your most recent reports, and I'm looking for dates of first symptoms as reported by the patient. So I'm not interested in people who said they've been suffering for 10 years and just came in. I understand what date of first symptoms means. She heard keys clacking as he worked his computer. We had a case in Detroit two weeks ago. A Gary Leland visited his primary caregiver, reported the fibers growing out of his right arm, multiple sores from scratching, then, uh, two cases in Ann Arbor, Michigan. These are less than a week old. Get Wynn, art major at University of Michigan, and Samantha Hester, who brought in her daughter, Missy, to the same position, actually. Margaret scribbled notes furiously, even though she'd have Chang email her all the files. When? When did they call in? Wynn was seven days ago. Hester was six. And have you had any contact with them? As a matter of fact, yes. I personally examined Missy. Girl had a tiny fiber sticking out of her right wrist. I removed it, gave her a full examination. She had no other rashes, fibers, or marks of any kind. And how long ago was that? Four days ago. Delightful little girl. I'm actually flying back there later today to examine her again. No need for that, Dr. Cheng. I'll be in Ann Arbor and I'll examine her. Oh, really? And do you know what you're looking for? Yes, doctor. Margaret said, I know exactly what I'm looking for. How about Mr. Wynn? He was another story. Quite rude. What did he say? Well, I called him to follow up, and as soon as I told him I was from the CDC, he asked me, here, let me check my notes here. Yes, here it is. He said, if you show your fucking face around here, you fucking spy piece of shit, I will cut off your fucking balls and shove them in your fucking mouth. I'll kill anyone you send. Fuck you. Then he hung up. Needless to say, he's low on the list of people to interview. Any others? None in the past six months. Send me those case files and do it now. Do you have addresses for Gwen and Hester? I told you. We have a database, Dr. Montoya. Thank you, Dr. Ching. You've been most helpful. She hung up, then immediately dialed Murray.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Chapter 33. Driving and Drinking Doom swirled before Perry's eyes like the tender flakes of snow gracefully kissing his windshield. He drove through town, down Washtenaw Avenue, heading for the hospital. The University of Michigan Medical Center was supposed to be one of the best hospitals in the world. Lots of innovative research, new techniques, top-shelf doctors. If there was any help to be had, that was the place. But that was a big if. It was all over, really. What were the doctors going to tell him anyway? Maybe they could tell him something. Better to go out knowing his killer than to just sit in the apartment and waste away to nothing. But more than likely, he knew, the doctors would look at him, examine him, poke him, and prod him, then announce that this disease was a new development. And somehow, even though they would know as much about the disease as the Pope knew about making hardcore porn, the doctors would still try to sound intelligent. Doctors were like that, always trying to come across as wise men, never for a moment losing the charade of competence. He slowed to turn right on observatory, but had to wait for pedestrians to cross the slushy street. He was on campus now, and U of M students were renowned for their lackadaisical attitude towards cars. They lazily strolled through the crosswalks, even on busy streets, immortal in their youth and confident that cars would slow for them. They were college students, and for most of them, the concept that they might face a quick and unfair death had yet to hit home. Your day will come, Perry said quietly to the bundled and backpack students as they passed in front of his car. Mine sure as hell has. He finished his turn onto observatory. Now he was only a few blocks from the medical center. Perry realized he had yet to call work. What difference did it make if he called in anyway? A lot of good his three years of devotion did at this point. Never late once. And would that help him survive? Fuck them all, Perry said quietly. His co-workers would hear about it soon enough on the news. He could hear the teaser now. Michigan man dies from new disease, which is named after his doctor, who is still very much alive and getting pretty friggin' rich on the lecture circuit. Story at 11. He stopped for a red light at Getty's. East Medical Center Drive was just up on the right. Cottony clumps of snow swam in the fluctuating wind, hanging weightless and spinning one second, whipping about as if on an intangible roller coaster the next. Despair filled his skull more tightly than even his own brain. All around him were cars filled with normal people, perfectly unaware of the disease turning Perry's body inside out. Fucking normal people. Or... Were they normal? How did he know they weren't suffering from the same condition? Maybe they sat in their cars, fighting the urge to itch, to scratch until their fingernails came back bloody. How was he to know if the people around him were normal or infected? It hit him, suddenly and solidly, that it was highly unlikely he was the first person with this disease. And if he wasn't the first, a disturbing question reared up to confront him. Why hadn't he heard of this before? 
A horn blast sounded behind him, jerking him back to awareness. The light was green. Heart racing, mind drowning in a sea of strange questions, he pulled through the intersection, then off to the side of the road. On his right was a snow-covered cemetery. How friggin' perfect. The traffic rolled along behind him, the people who might or might not be normal going on about their business. He gripped the steering wheel to keep his hands from shaking. Why hadn't he heard of this before? He had fucking blue triangles growing under his skin for the love of God. The disease seemed so unusual, the media would have reported such a thing long ago, wouldn't they? Of course they would have. Unless, unless the people with his disease went into the hospital, but never came out. Perry sat very still, staring out the windshield, the cold air filtering into the car and chasing away the artificial heat. What if the hospital was waiting for people like him? Maybe they wouldn't even try to help him. Maybe they would just study the triangle, lock him up like a prisoner so they could watch him die. And maybe they'd just kill him and dissect him like some lab animal. It was the only thing that made sense, or he'd have heard of this somewhere. There was more to the situation, much more. It wasn't just a simple disease after all. He was marked for death as sure as if he were in a Nazi concentration camp and the triangles were stars of David sewn onto his clothes. But if he couldn't go to the hospital, what was he going to do? What the hell could he do? Fear slowly sank its claws into his consciousness, squeezing out his breath, joining with the biting cold to make his big body shiver. I need a drink, Perry whispered, and just a little time to figure this out. He did a U-turn and kept driving. He didn't stop until he reached the Washtenaw party store. The payphone was not in use for once. He didn't talk to anyone. He didn't look at anyone. He made his purchase and left. Chapter 34 Turkey Shoot Perry shambled back into his apartment carrying two bottles of wild turkey. One full, the other already half-empty. The promise of violence hung off his frame like the potential energy of a safe hanging 15 stories over a crowded street. Friday night, and it was party time. Perry calmly set the bottles on the kitchen table, then strolled into the bathroom. The floor there was crusted not only with dried vomit, but with dried blood as well. He noticed a good three inches of water remained in the tub, still and dead like stagnant pond water, disturbed only by the plunk of occasional drops from the showerhead. Chunks of the thick orange skin clogged the drain. Smaller parts floated on the water's filthy soap-scum surface. He heard a faint trickle slipping down the drain, filtering past the disgusting clog. He hadn't even thought about it when he'd showered. The orange skin had apparently come off on its own. His free hand gently touched his collarbone, fingers tracing the slightly too firm outline of a triangle. It felt more defined, the edges slightly more discernible to the touch. The blue looked a bit more pronounced, still faint, but now clearly visible with a color like that of a faded tattoo. He walked back to the kitchen. He grabbed a fork and then a knife out of the butcher's block, eyes once again lingering on the thick-handled, thick-bladed chicken scissors. He was dying. So many things yet to do, to experience. He'd never see Germany, 
Never go deep sea fishing. Never visit the Alamo or all the historical sites of colonial America. He'd never get married. Never have children. It wasn't all bad. He'd lived a full life. He'd been the first in his family to attend college. He'd played Division I football, been on ESPN, lived his childhood dream of being a Wolverine, playing in front of 112,000 screaming fans at the big house. But above all, he'd escaped his father's life of violence. He had surpassed his environment, surpassed his heritage, fought and clawed his way into respectability. But for what? For nothing. That's what. He sat down at the kitchen table, set the knife on the tabletop, then took a long pull from the half-empty fifth. It tasted awful and seared his throat, but those sensations barely registered on his brain. He knocked it back as if it were water. The wild turkey was already roaring through his head. By the time he finished the bottle, he knew he'd be three sheets to the wind. Ripped. Drunk-ass wasted. He'd be feeling no pain. Tears of despair tugged at his eyes. It wasn't fair. He refused to cry. His father hadn't cried once during that whole cancer ordeal, and if Dad hadn't, Perry wouldn't either. Good old Dirty Bird carried a kick as severe as its taste. Perry felt lightheaded, and his toes tingled. His thoughts seemed thick, syrupy. He sat for a few minutes more, fighting back the tears, the wild turkey worming its way into his brain. He picked up the knife. The blade was almost ten inches long. The kitchen's fluorescent ceiling lights seemed to glint off each and every tiny serration. When he cooked chicken or beef, he used the sharp butcher knife to cut through the raw meat with little effort. Perry doubted that the knife would be any less effective on human flesh, particularly the thin skin atop his shin. His eyes blurred a little, and he shook his head. He realized he was about to cut into his own body with a butcher knife. Little wild turkey goes a long way. Yes, he was going to cut himself, but there was something in his body that didn't belong. No, no. He was going to die, sure, so be it, but he was taking these fucking triangle things with him. It was time for the big six to lose a member. Perry laughed out loud. Anytime you drop players from the lineup, you have to make a cut. He polished off the last of the fifth, the liquid searing its way down his throat. He tossed the empty bottle aside, then used the knife to cut right through his jeans. The denim offered little resistance to the blade. In a few seconds, his pant leg hung in two long, jagged strips, exposing his tree trunk of a leg. Perry lifted his foreleg and laid it on the kitchen table like a pot roast served at a family dinner. The wood felt cool against the back of his calf. The wild turkey buzz droned through his mind like a horde of lazy bumblebees. He knew if he didn't act soon, he wouldn't be able to do anything but babble, drool, and pass out. It was time. No. Time to get down to business. No kill. Perry steeled himself with a few deep breaths. He was acting crazy. He knew that. But what difference did it make to a dead man? He poked at the triangle with the fork. Nothing had changed since his earlier examination. You're going to kill me, Perry said. No, 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 my friend. I'm going to kill you. He pushed the fork into his skin, just firmly enough to hold the triangle in place. The three metal tines made deep indents in the bluish skin. Small flecks of rust dotted the knife blade. He'd never noticed them before. He noticed them now. He was suddenly noticing a lot of things about the knife. 
Things like the nicks in the wooden handle. Things like the two silvery rivets that fasten the comfortable wooden handle to the blade. Things like the grain of the wood. Like a hundred little minnows forever trapped in mid-swim in a soft, warm, brown stream. He'd made the first cut before he really knew what he was doing. He found himself staring drunkenly at a two-inch gash. Hot, trickling blood spilled down the side of his calf, spreading across the tabletop, then falling in thick red splatters against the white linoleum floor. He heard the dripping of the blood before he felt the pain, which was severe but distant, separated, as if it were pain seen on TV while Perry was curled up on the couch under a fuzzy blanket with a cold coke in one hand and the remote control in the other. He felt as if he were on autopilot, gliding through this bizarre action like a spectator. Who knew there would be this much blood? It covered his leg, smeared against his pale skin, made it difficult to see the triangle's edge. Yet he pushed down hard on the fork, put the knife blade perpendicular to his skin, and made another fast cut. More blood spilled across the table and onto the floor. The pain didn't feel so distant now, not at all. Perry ground his teeth in an effort to control himself, to finish the job. The blood somehow found its way up the knife blade and onto his hands. He heard the steady stream drip of his own blood pattering to the floor below. How's it feel, you little fucker? Perry's words were slow and slurred. How's that feel? Do you like that? Kill me? No, 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 I kill you. You've got to have discipline. Perry steeled himself, forcing his vision to clear once more and his mind to center on the next task. Despite his drunken state, his hands remained amazingly steady. He definitely missed his calling in life. No kill, please. His face furrowed in confusion. Something tickled at the edges of his mind, like a dream trying to crawl in and stir up nocturnal secrets. He violently shook his head, then stared with new focus at the bloody fork and knife. The second cut had left one side of the triangle in place, like a door hinge. He slid the blade under the angular flap and flipped it back like a bloody piece of raw bacon. Cold, so cold. What he saw stopped him instantly. A low hiss leaked from his mouth like air from a punctured tire. How's that for a prize in your Cracker Jacks? He stared at the thing that had made him itch, made him tear into himself like a wild animal in a trap at what was undoubtedly killing him. Blood pooled and flowed around a dark blue triangular lump. Perry wiped away the pulsating blood to get a better look. It was deep blue, shiny, although maybe that was from the wetness of the blood rather than its true color. The triangle surface wasn't smooth, but gnarled, twisted, malignant, like tree roots massed together and exposed to the soil surface, or like the texture of steel cable without the orderly lines. Sobriety suddenly swam its way to the surface, spurred on by a horror-fueled fight-or-flight response. This was a whole nother ballgame from the rashes, a completely different league than the thick orange blisters. His body hadn't made this thing, couldn't have. Where the hell had it come from? Perry snarled. The growling voice of a rabid animal escaped his throat. He not so gently slid the fork under the bloody blue triangle. The metal tines scraped against his own raw flesh. No He'd never felt pain so pure, so dense, no so all-encompassing. But he ignored it completely, no. focusing instead on the abomination buried in his shin. Play through the pain. He felt the tines of the fork meet the slightly giving resistance of the triangle stem. He gently fished around until the fork slid all the way through, its red-smeared prongs poking their little heads out from underneath the triangle's far side. The blood-covered table felt cold and sticky under his calf. 
Perry raised the fork. The triangle seemed to lift easily. The stem, however, was another affair, far more solid and firm than before. It would take strength to pull this one out. Sweat poured from his face as the pain sheared through his leg. It was slammingly intense, but he held it in check with the promise of purging this abomination from his body. Perry yanked up hard on the fork, but the stem held firm. Blood spilled anew from the leg, splashing into the puddle that blazed red against the white linoleum floor. His head lolled to the right. Spots appeared before his eyes. He scrunched his eyes shut and shook his head, blinking fast as his equilibrium and vision returned. He'd almost passed out. Had he lost that much blood? His head started to spin. He didn't know if it was from the wild turkey or blood loss. No. He felt control slipping away. Please, no, 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 He jammed the fork in deeper, allowing more of the tines to poke through the other side, enough for him to get a decent hold with his free hand. He held the fork as if it were a curling bar, and he was ripping off a few quick reps. His meaty biceps twitched in anticipation. No, 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 no. He took a breath and yanked. He heard a ripping sound and felt a blast of nuclear fire tear through his leg. Something in the stem snapped. Perry's momentum carried him backwards over his chair and spilled him onto the floor. Blood had trickled before. Now it gushed, this time from the back of his leg. A wave of gray washed across his eyes. I have to stop the bleeding, he thought. I'm not going to die on the kitchen floor. He pulled off his t-shirt and leaned forward, his ass and legs spreading blood all across the linoleum. Perry wrapped the shirt around his gushing calf, tied a granny knot, and then yanked it tight with all his strength. His short scream filled the small apartment. He rolled onto his back, body tightly tense with agony, the gray washing over him yet again. He fell limp. His chest moved in regular breaths as he lay in the blood-smeared floor. You have been listening to Infected, book one of the Infected Trilogy by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.